0: The Ryan Tuberty Show on RTE Radio One with Elevon Merchant Services. Growing your business is easy peasy with us by your side. At twenty-four minutes past nine, I want to introduce you to Dr. Fit, uh, Chris Fitzpatrick, who was Master of the Coombe from two thousand and six to twenty thirteen. Very nice to meet you, Chris. Thanks Great for being to be here, to Ryan.
1: Uh, do you say you're like a kid in a candy store? Yeah, I, I just—it's it's a fantastic experience being here in RTE, and I just want to say just before you start the sure. interview, just a big thanks to you and all of the staff and RTE uh, for, I suppose, all you've done over the past two years. I think as a healthcare worker, I'm particularly appreciative as well. So in terms of the news and in terms of the stories, the happy and sad stories, uh, and also in terms of the entertainment, you know, the times you, you took us away from COVID. So like we got rounds of applause from the public uh, during COVID. And <laughs> right, uh, so. I suppose this is my thanks you're to you. You're very kind. So, just to say that.
0: You're, you're very kind. I pass that on to the, to the gang and put it all together. But thank you for being with us today because, I suppose we've got so many places that we we need to go. Um, you've, you've brought this a uh, beautiful collection of poetry called Poetic Licence in a Time of Corona, which the title itself I really love. Um, normally I'd begin at the beginning, but I'm actually going to go to a scene that really struck me, um, which is there was a time when we had the two kilometre limit of yes. where to walk, the radius, and then it said you can go five. Yes. And you took a stroll somewhere that... You, 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 you could have gone any day of the week until this thing came along, and it
1: became almost biblical in its beauty. Tell me about that. So, uh, I, I was longing to get to Saint Stephen's Green, and being a dub, <laughs> excuse yeah. me. Uh, When you walk through Dublin, I've got to walk through St Stephen's Green and uh, it's such a beautiful space and whether it's the spring or the summer, the autumn, winter, uh, it's a delight to walk through. It's like the song, the Noel Purcell song, Dublin's just like heaven with a stroll through St Stephen's Green. So uh, I was really chomping at the bit to get into St Stephen's Green. I became like the Holy Grail because it was beyond the uh, it was beyond the distance that we were allowed to travel yeah. when we were stuck at two kilometres. So I kept saying to my wife, like, I need to get into St Stephen's Green. And the first weekend that the restrictions moved from two to five. We walked into in, in St. Stephen's Green, and it was a beautiful spring day. Like, the sky was never as blue, there were no clouds. We walked in, kind of the, the main gates, like the grass was so green, the, the flowers are so colourful, like the, the fragrance was almost overwhelming. And it was almost like stepping into an Impressionist painting. Like. So as we strolled down that central boulevard, uh, except for the, the two metres apart, it looked like a painting, and like I was half expecting like Renoir or Monet or Manet just to pop out of the bushes and to paint us, and and then like I heard this kind of thrush sing, and and like I suppose you're in a kind of a heightened sense yeah. of excitement and joy to be actually free, to be actually in a beautiful space, and it kind of sang to me kind of that kind of line from you too. It's a beautiful day don't let it get away and and it was such a beautiful day and i wanted to kind of hold onto it uh, just to preserve it uh, and and then i kind of imagined uh, that bono and uh, and the boys were going to pop out of a bush <laughs> and, and accompany the song thrush and and that line it's a beautiful day don't let it get away mm. was kind of a, a little soundtrack or a little mantra that, that that ran through covid for me so whenever the sun shone or wherever, whenever I heard the birds sing, or whenever something beautiful happened, uh, I would hear that little soundtrack. It's a beautiful day, don't let it get away. Yeah. And and then I was just listening to Bono and the Edge before I came in, yeah. uh, in, 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 in to do this interview. Uh, and and you play them playing in, in the stand by me in the stand by me the tube station. And and you know that is like pure poetry. Yeah. Uh, and. And, and I felt a little bit sorry for, I suppose, he got some unfair criticism in relation to the Nancy Pelosi poem. Yeah. But uh, but I, like Bono, for me, is his heart is always in the right place. Uh, I think he's a wonderful poet, and, and and those two lines just meant so much mm. to me. But going into St Stephen's Green, well, it was like Shangri La. It was like no the way. Holy Grail. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it was such a beautiful day. Isn't
0: that isn't that what what the uh, remarkable thing about what happened with the pandemic whereby? Once something like that is taken away from you, you, you always could keep thinking, we can t- talk in music lyrics all day today, but the big yellow taxi, Joni Mitchell. Yes. Uh, you don't, you don't realise what you got till it's gone. Absolutely. And that that became, your, your, the, the Stephen's Green was your big yellow taxi.
1: It was at the start of COVID. At from the start, yeah. And you yeah. got it back in yeah. there. I
0: think a lot of us suddenly found ourselves going back to places going, <gasps> God, I thought I lost you. you well, know,
1: park, sea, you know, crowds. Yeah, yeah, crowds. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, I, I was, I was a ball boy uh, in the nineteen seventy one All Ireland final. Okay, and 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 you know, not being able to go to you know to the Aviva and not being able yeah. to go to Croker suddenly became a big thing. It was like actually missing out on on, on going to St Stephen's Green, yeah. and you know, and, and writing poetry was a kind of an escape door into past memories and and things you were longing for. So I I particularly remember that because I was a ball boy. I remember handing the ball to Ollie Welch for the puck out. Uh, I remember the the, the 61,000 people around me, like De Valera was there. I could remember the Artane Boys band playing. And at the end of the game I remember going up to Pat Henderson, who's one of the the Kilkenny players, and asking for his autograph. And he'd kind of cut his arm during the game. So there's blood all over his arm, there's blood all over the pen, there's blood over the autograph. And was these memories <laughs> and, 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 and having kind of a blood-stained autograph, there was no, we no concern over infection risks in those <laughs> yeah. days. Uh, and, and I suppose to be able to write a poem about that mm. and to remember that, uh, uh, I think these were precious moments. Uh, you, you mentioned music and I was listening also to, to Paul Heaton before mm-hmm. he came on because I think Paul is a, is a wonderful poet. Another poet, poet Yeah. Uh, Paul is... I'm going to see him actually play with Jackie Abbott in, in St Anne's. Yes. Uh, but the guy who I wanted to see originally was Lionel Richie. Well, you're right about him and, too. And, and Lionel... <laughs> uh, myself and my wife had booked a, a number of, uh, of concerts to see during the course of the year. And, uh, and what happened was they were cancelled mm. uh, in, in, in 2020. So we would get these repetitive emails like from Lionel and from Diana Ross to say, like, I'm not coming, but I'm, gonna, I'm going to come. Uh, and, and Lionel was, although it was tick, Ticketmaster that was actually kind of emailing me, Lionel was the guy who emailed me most. So we, <laughs> uh, so we had this kind of personal relationship where I assumed he was actually emailing me and telling me he wasn't coming. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, like I, so I wrote a poem about that because yeah. I wanted to capture that type of the disappointment that they weren't coming, the excitement that they perhaps were going to yeah. come, uh, and... And it was like, like you know, I, I used the line of the poem. It was like, like if, if Samuel Beckett were alive, you know, he, he'd write "Waiting for Linor <laughs> Ritchie." But I'm glad to say that he, although he's not coming, yes, that I'm going to see Jackie and and Paul. Well, so I'm really looking forward think, to so that. So you're you're, yeah.
0: you're you're bringing in all the things: uh, the the lyricists, the, the 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 poets, the music, and then the sense of being in a crowd. But again. I'll go with another lyric, and it's a sadder moment in, in your in your collection of poetry, Chris, which is about your brother, if you don't mind me mentioning Declan, and, sure. and the reason I'm saying that is because he sounds like he was the greatest Liverpool supporter of all time, and hence, You'll Never Walk Alone, another another beautiful yeah. uh, piece of music, and uh, such an iconic piece of music. Um, tell me a little bit about him.
1: So Declan uh, was three years younger than me, okay. and he was a school teacher, and uh, and he was also a passionate Liverpool supporter, like passionate written in big font. He was also very religious, uh, which was I suppose, uncharacteristic for, for, I suppose, pe- people of, of his age nowadays. He, he would have that type of religious devotion that my parents had, mm. a lot more religious than me. So, uh, and he was a school teacher and he taught English. And, and that was a kind of a, a point of common interest for both of us. Uh, and uh, he was uh, absolutely perfectly well up until he collapsed uh, at work but about this time last year, and he was uh, transferred into a hospital, and within twenty four hours he was given a diagnosis that he had uh, metastatic cancer with brain secondaries, and he'd really no symptoms up until that period of time Gosh. at all. been perfectly healthy, uh, and uh, he uh, he asked how long had he left to live, and they said like maybe three to four months, and he had a little bit longer than that in the end, and. He was offered chemotherapy and radiotherapy, and that was palliative. And this was the time of the cyber attack as well. So, On the HSC. His, and the HSE, and the HSE. So, his his radiotherapy was actually given in three different hospitals because there were kind of connectivity problems in mm. relation to it. Uh, and he got very sick uh, shortly after his commencing chemotherapy, and basically he went home to die. And. His wife, Septa, took. who was a teacher as well, just took time off work and and she looked after him so marvellously well. But some of the family were waiting to get vaccinated, others weren't vaccinated, uh, uh, and yet. uh, And uh, we had window visits, uh, we had restrictions on house visits. Uh, He, over a period of months, lost... basically all of his bodily functions except he was compass mentis towards the end. Uh, He was very resigned to the fact uh, what was going to happen to him. Uh, And uh, I suppose at a moment, uh, and it was a challenge for him and and a challenge for Septa and all of us. And and out of the blue, uh, he received a letter one day uh, from Jurgen Klopp. No. And uh, and, uh, he was a huge Liverpool fan. Uh, This was a personal letter written to him uh, somebody had obviously contacted the, the club and, and actually before that he'd got an email from the club to say, you know, you know, wishing you all the best. We heard that you're sick and it was kind of signed off by the management and, and team. So that was very nice. And he was delighted to get that. But to 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 get a letter uh, in the post uh, from Jurgen Klopp uh, and it was like a poem because every word is perfect. Lovely. Uh, and it finished with the line, you'll never walk alone. And it was like a ray of... Of sunshine that Gosh. came into his life uh, and it was so powerfully meaningful for him brought him such joy brought all the family joy and I'm a Manchester United fan and you know yeah. I you know, would kind of hold Jurgen Klopp and the team in very high regard yeah. and then after he died the chaplain of Liverpool football team wrote a letter to his wife uh, just to say remembering you wow. and I thought that was, was, was pretty remarkable very very yeah, thoughtful yeah, yeah. Um, he was obviously a young man he was 60, 61 years of
0: age, yeah. 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 Um and to to be predeceased by your younger brother must be yes, just and, all and must my feel par- all wrong.
1: Yeah, my parents and they're listening in, so hi mom and dad. And my my God, mother's eighty nine yeah, and dad is, is ninety. So that was particularly kind of difficult for them as I can well. Imagine. But um, he was looked after wonderfully well by yes. his wife. Uh we, we we had an opportunity to discuss uh things together in relation to our, our child and so I'd been in the same room as him for about 27 okay, yeah, years yeah, yeah. and we used to play this game like what's your favourite footballer what's your favourite movie yeah. uh, what's you know what was the best holiday ever went on and uh, one of, and I wrote a poem about it as well as uh, Jürgen Klopp uh, mm. one of the questions I asked him and this was not long before he died what's the best book you ever read and he said to me The Remains of the Day oh, love and, it, yeah. and, uh, and that kind of stopped my heart for a moment yeah. and kind of I knew what that meant and he knew what it meant Uh, and and I want to just capture that moment because I suppose they were the saddest things that happened to our family the death of my brother and it was hard to I suppose kind of rationalise it at the time and I I wanted to preserve his memory Uh, and also I think those those reading the book will you know obviously have have, have loved ones who died as well and, and maybe it will resonate yeah, with them as well. No yeah, doubt about yeah, it.
0: And as I say, condolences to, to your family on passing your brother. Thanks, Ryan. Um, this is the most unusual interview for me for you with you because I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm kind of um, going completely in reverse as to what sure. I normally do. But I just feel that your poems tell us all we need to know in some ways and there's one more I'm going to hit on before sure. we go into a slightly more <laughs> uh, usual if you like uh, approach but that's the one about your kidney Yeah, uh, it sounds like a strange thing to say I'm going to ask you to read this one because it's so short and um, it's on as you know there page uh, four um, so uh, tell me read this out and because uh, I thought this was I'll read this, it home first okay, please yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, get, we'll work back from that
1: there is a part of me concealed that is forever England's to hold it moves in some stranger through London streets, plumbed and sealed, needs no passport to live in its abode, lets me walk with a lighter load. Says it all, but maybe, all. maybe yeah. give us some context in that. There's, there's okay. a part of you in England. Like it's, there's it's, a part of me, yeah. So yeah. in in uh, in 2019, I was sitting at home watching the telly and uh, watching the Clare warren show, actually. Very good. And... Uh, I saw a colleague of mine in the audience uh, and you won't mind me mentioning his name because uh, he's on on the public record in relation to what what he did. So uh, Dominic Nathan and he's an occupational health physician in the matter and when I saw him in the audience I said what's Dominic doing there because I kind of know him and he was uh, a few years behind me in college and I bump into a medical dude and our our daughter in the same class so I kind of know him socially as well. And, uh, and I thought he must be there to talk about some kind of medical controversy because like when there are doctors in the audience, it's usually over some kind of crisis <laughs> in the medical, uh, in, in the health services. So I was wondering what are they going to ask Dominic about? So uh, the, 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 uh, in the second half of the show, she came down to him and, uh, uh, the, uh, and asked him about uh, kidney donation. And he was there with a nephrologist from Beaumont and he told the story that he'd actually donated a kidney uh, to somebody he didn't know in Belfast. And I was amazed at this because I didn't know about it, uh, and like, and, and I knew him. So after the show, I sent him a text, mm. and I arranged to meet him. And I met him a few weeks later in the matter. And I said, "God, I've been just thinking about that." And like, I kind of, kind of done lots of operations. I'd never really been, i si- never really been sick at all, uh, and. Uh, I had never thought of donation apart from the card that you know, I signed that in the event of yes. you know, an RTA and, and like, I'm, I'm deceased to donate my mm-hmm. kidney. But I never really thought of beyond that. Uh, and uh, so he told me that he, he'd given a kidney to somebody uh, that he didn't know in Belfast. I mean, the legislation is in the pipeline in relation to that type of altruistic anonymous donation here. Uh, and it was a really positive experience. And like, he didn't encourage me uh, to, to to pursue it. But it just kept kind of going around in my head and he gave me some bump and contact details uh, and I discussed it at home. It kept playing on my mind that like I've been healthy up to now. There's nobody in the family who has a kidney disease. Mm. Um, i had done lots of surgery in the past. I'm coming up to retirement and I just thought, I, I think I might like to do that. So I mentioned it at home and so... Kind of my, my my wife and daughter said no, no, no. They, you know, they were just concerned over the risk that this posed to me and you know giving away a kidney that you didn't need to give away. Uh interestingly my sons, and I suppose there's a difference maybe between sons and daughters, my sons were saying go for it, Dad, yeah. which didn't kind of uh, didn't necessarily <laughs> wasn't the right thing as well. <laughs> yeah. So they were saying go for it. So um I went up to Belfast and I had an assessment. I spoke to the people up there and um so there was an opportunity to give a kidney and, uh, and I passed the assessment. I hope they say I'm too old. And they said, no, you're the right age. You've paid your mortgage. You've written your will. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the risks are very low. Mm. Uh, and I suppose the other thing it was, it was part of a sequence of uh, there's a kidney sharing scheme uh, in the UK whereby I donated my kidney to a person who had no match in their immediate circle say their family. And one of their family members donated their kidney to somebody who was in a similar situation. Yes, it, like a domino, it was a domino chain. It was a domino. So, yes. The, so there were basically it was one in a sequence of three donations okay. and three recipients. So, I went to Belfast. Uh, Belfast city, I love. Uh, and uh, I had the operation in early January, and um, and then I was back to work in, in four weeks' time. And I, I was due a little bit of time off, and I just basically told my immediate family and some colleagues at work. So I didn't t- tell everyone about it. And then, not long after coming back, COVID happened. Mm. Uh, and I was into a completely different kind of scenario. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a letter from, uh, from the person who had received the kidney. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a delightful letter to receive, just saying that uh, they'd been in bad shape beforehand and that they, uh, that they had come through the operation and the kidney was working and, and, and I suppose the nice thing for me was they were actually from London. Now, I had no idea where the kidney was going and I had no other details uh, other than they lived in London. And uh, London's a city I love. It was mm. one of the last places I visited before the travel restrictions, one of the first places I visited when the uh, restrictions were lifted. I've always felt particularly at home there. Uh, and... Uh, and I suppose the other I, I suppose slightly ironic thing that this was happening around the time of Brexit mm. so at the time when you know there were issues in terms of borders and moving north and south and no, north and south and I remember saying to the the, uh, the nephrologist in Belfast like I'm from Dublin and I'm giving the kidney in Belfast and it's going to the UK yeah. is there any issue over <laughs> Brexit and she said not at all forget about it and yeah, that was actually nice yeah. so it kind of like I really haven't thought about it and the only reason I included yeah. it in the book was like it happened during the period of time I'm writing about it yeah so I said look in fairness I uh, I'm writing personal things about my my brother uh I you know I kind of I felt obliged to mention it but it, it it's just a very positive experience. Uh, I know there's legislation coming through. This is this is kind of a minority thing, so it, it like not everyone has the opportunity to yeah. do it and can do it, and nor would I recommend it. Uh, I would, however, recommend that everyone actually signs that card That's and make uh, and, and makes makes their organs, uh, corneas, heart valves available after they die. But uh, anyway. it, it, no, it's great, and
0: it's amazing how you you've distilled all that into that very short. Uh, poem, but it says, it says everything, but appreciate the context. So, as I say, you were master of the Coombe between 06 and 13, um, but I think in some ways reading about you that I could have been interviewing, you know, professor of English literature, uh, you know, visiting lecturer from a university somewhere else, if you had pursued your initial interest in life, which was writing, which was English, which was all of those things. Um, why did that ambition die and medicine begin?
1: So I suppose I became a doctor literally as an accident. So I was, uh, I, um, I oh, the only thing I ever wanted to do in school was actually to study English. Yeah. And, and I had the benefit, I went to CBS North Brunswick Street, Brunner, the school around the corner. And I had this succession of absolutely fantastic school teachers, uh, particularly in relation to English, all the way through. Like I had a, a brother Martin in fifth class in, in the primary who had his reading John B. Keane, Jared Manley, Hopkins, and Shakespeare—they're three that you wouldn't necessarily put Amazing. together. Yeah. So a very a, kind of a broad liberal education in relation to English literature. So that's all I wanted to do. I went to university, UCD, study English. Then I smashed my leg in 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 a, in a, in a, in a soccer match just before I did did the degree and ended up going into Vincent's uh, and just down the road. And uh, I'd never been in hospital before at all. And uh, I was in hospital for about a week and then I was in and out. It took a while for the fracture to heal. I had kind of this thing called delayed union. Uh, So I was in and out of Vincent's and I suddenly became fascinated with, uh, with, uh, with medicine. And it was a system of knowledge you knew absolutely nothing about. And I was looked after by some amazing doctors, nurses, physiotherapists. Uh, and I was really kind of impressed by I suppose the, the people that they were. And in particular, I was looked after by a junior doctor. Uh, and it was a guy that I'd actually seen play from Hill 16 on many an occasion. So the junior doctor who looked after him was David Hickey. Mm. So and David was one of the stars of the Dublin football team. So and he was the intern, the junior doctor looking after me. And I said, I actually I think I'd like to be like him yeah. because he was a really nice guy he was very charismatic he was very caring I said well I'm never actually going to be able to play football like him so maybe I, I, I might like to be a doctor like him so I finished the degree I applied to do medicine and then I um, I kind of put the poetry and the novels and the theatre basically on the back burner for about 10 years Did you fall developed. out of love with them? I kind of did I began to feel it's not really that relevant so like medicine is relevant because you're you're caring for you're healing people you're fixing things it's kind of fact-based it's evidence-based and mm. whereas poetry and novels it's kind of the creative imagination you're kind of making it up so naively i thought it was less important okay and so about 10 years later and i've you know kind of gone through medical school i'm a junior doctor i'm working in in the rotunda and uh, I'm, I'm at a conference in italy and uh, i'm standing about to hand in my key Uh, at the reception desk I'm saying at the hotel where the conference is and there's a man standing in front of me and I recognised the back of his head Uh, and the reason I I did was because I'd seen him in countless movies uh, throughout my life and so my dad who's listening in here uh, my dad's a huge film buff so when we were kids he would plonk us down at the settee when there was ever a Hollywood movie or an old British movie from the 30s, 40s, 50s so I'd seen this guy in countless movies and his name was Alec Guinness so he turned around and, and I suppose you get this all the time, Ryan. Where you know, like people who know you from the screen, uh from the television, uh, they think they know you personally. So I stepped towards them and said, Sir Alec, great to see you. And rather than shying mm-hmm. away, mm. he actually came towards me, shook my hand. Lovely. So I had this chat, and I just seen him on he done the BBC serialization of Tinker Taylor Soldier yeah. Spice, who played George Smiley, so big conversation about that. And uh, so after about 20 minutes, uh, he said, look, uh, why don't you join myself, my wife, for dinner oh, tonight? Oh, good Lord. So, uh, so over dinner that night, and I was, once again, like the kid in the sweet yes, shop, yes. saying to him, like, what was it like to be in the bridge in the River Kwai? And you, you, you played opposite Audrey Hepburn and, you know, all the movies he'd been in. And I said, oh, my father would just so love to be here with me yeah. to, be, to, to share in this. And he was he was very uh, he was very reluctant to talk about himself, and he kept asking me about like the most uninteresting person in the room. Me, he kept saying like where'd you go to school, and you know. And, uh, and when he heard that I'd actually studied English at university, he said, uh, and that I'd actually kind of packed it in. Yeah. Like I was interested in the movies and music and the sport, but I'd I stopped reading the poetry and the novels, etc. He said, uh, Oh no, you need to go back, and you need to start reading poetry, and you need to go to the theatre, and you need to be a more rounded person than the person you are and you wow. need to be able to see the world through the the, the eyes of your patient and if you're a doctor uh, you need to be able to visualise how life is for them uh, you need to connect more you need to be able to find the right words and then you need to be able to escape from yourself so I was kind of right, this was kind of life coaching uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I skipped a couple of the sessions in the, concert, uh, in the conference afterwards just to meet him and I remember at the very end Ryan of the uh, of the of the conference you do this evaluation. Uh, about like what you thought and what you learned so I said I- I'll probably get into trouble over this but I said actually the best thing about this conference is actually meeting at Guinness and I learned more from him than anyone else and I recommend that you should invite him back next year to this conference yeah. he was just staying in the hotel and-, and ask him to talk to doctors about you know how they need to communicate so like he taught me about like I suppose the benefit of the humanities and the arts something that I'd kind of put to the side yeah. uh, and also about things like compassion sincerity and and burnout and these were things that, you know, that only became buzzwords in medical education years later. Years, gosh,
0: what a well, If you're going to get advice about the arts from anyone, Absolutely. Uh, Alec Guinness yes. is your yes. man, isn't he? Yes. Yes. Okay, we have so many texts in, in the brief time we have sure. left, uh, Chris uh, Fitzpatrick this morning, um, and the texts are really doing the talking about, because we, we we haven't even gone into what was your main role in, in, in medical life in recent times, um, but such as uh, your, your your story is so intriguing elsewhere, we're kind of getting a bigger sense of you, I think. Now, Brita says, not only is Chris Fitzpatrick in Amazing obstetrician. He's also one of the most kind, empathetic, hands-on, and available doctors. Also a lovely human being. He was so kind to me in two thousand and two and three, when I was attending the Coombe Hospital. With uh, he was kind with his time, his expertise, and his empathy. Karen says, Chris looked after me in 2013, complicated birth, baby coming, elbow first, emergency C-section, bladder attached to womb, major surgery, but I had the very best of care. Nine years on, Harley O'Raw is strong and sporty, so thank you to Chris and his team and the lovely Doc Martin, Uh, we're forever grateful. I'll keep going, You can respond now, and Mary Corrigan, great to hear, Uh, how wonderful to hear Chris Fitzpatrick, fantastic clinician and person, grateful for him to caring for me for. During my three pregnancies his humanity and kindness these are the words that keep coming up they're palpable he has a special place in our heart. I had a great chat with Chris says Brenda about all things theatre during my first appointment at the Coombe eight years ago I remember his passion for the arts and his care and attention in the sphere of medicine um, Another says so lovely to hear Chris on the radio this morning says Louise he delivered my four babies in the Coombe and he was always such a caring presence he's not only a great doctor but such a nice man uh, I always enjoyed my visits with him and Sheila his wonderful secretary looking forward to reading his his book of poetry. Chris delivered my three boys says Susan in the Coombe on St. Stephen's Day in 96. I remember him with great kindness, a dedicated doctor with a lovely bedside manner. I'm so happy to hear you say, you know, the rounded nature of it because I was talking to my youngest and saying, uh, I was uh, saying how wonderful the arts degree is. And don't be yes. worrying about everyone. Some people will do law or, or agriculture. That's all, you know, necessarily you might know. But if you do the arts degree, it, it gives you a great, ont- it's like a gateway drug into the culture and, uh, and the world. And that's what you did. And to marry medicine with, with, with arts and humanities,
1: it's a, it's a beautiful mix. Sure, and it was probably, looking back on it, it was such an influential period of time. I just say, like, best wishes to all of those. Sure, yeah, well, there's a lot of love for you here today. Very fond memories of certainly my time in the Coombe. And and I I learned, obviously, lots myself from the people I looked after as well. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I think the the importance of... um, of, um, of that liberal education is is, is critical and, and the importance of reading yes. and I suppose one other person that I think that we have a, a common interest in and who also is a huge supporter of literacy is Dolly Parton uh, Yes and, and, uh, yes. and, and that uh, and Dolly She features uh, in your book She features yeah. in my book yeah. as well and uh, you know I think she is such a fantastic singer and poet and performer and philanthropist and philanthropist, really. philanthropist yeah. as well and she made this big donation to vaccines at the start right. in terms of the of the Moderna vaccine and I had one major regret when it came to, to, to Dolly Parton <laughs> in my life and I'd seen her play live loads of times was that I wasn't in podio Shay's and probably I know really well <laughs> in 1990 <laughs> when, when she, she got played up. there and, and played with Steve Cooney and, right. and if you look at it on YouTube it yeah, is such yeah. a fantastic and it, very it, Irish it could only happen yeah, in Ireland yeah, yeah. so I had to write a poem about that yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I sent her a copy of the uh, of the book after Good I, man. I, and uh, I was down in the post office and uh, it was at lunch <laughs> Time. I can imagine and there was only one counter open. and I handed it into the into yeah. the woman behind the grill, and, uh, and and I remember when she was because I decided to send it by express because of Brexit. It was to our publishers in in London. I, I don't know if it ever get to her, but when the woman uh, was typing the label for the express package, she kind of looked up at me and said, you know, is it who I think it is? And, I, and so I felt obliged to explain, yes, yes yeah. it, it's Dolly Partner. And then you have to declare what it is. Yes. So uh, then I had to say it was a gift. And, and that kind of made it a little bit, kind of <laughs> looked a little <laughs> bit more strange. And then she asked me how much, to, like to the price of the gift, it yeah. was about 16 euro. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and when she took away the package, she said to me kind of, good luck. As, as much as to say, like actually hope it gets there. Ah, oh, that's nice. But uh, but anyway, so if you ever interview her again, well, you, ask her, you, you, you can ask her the interview. Did she get yeah, the book? Yeah, <laughs> but she is a she was a huge hero to me throughout my life, and uh, and I listened to her a lot during COVID. Uh, it's been a pleasure to to meet Great you. To talk to I you. I
0: really enjoyed our, our conversation this morning. Thank you so much. Your book, uh, Christmas Patrick, uh, poetic, poetic license in a time of Corona. It's a slim volume of meaningful words, is what I'll say, and it really gives you that sense of what has happened to us. As a people for the last two years, but through the prism of your own personal story. I really enjoyed your poetry and thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you very okay, much, That's Dr. Christopher Patrick uh, joining us live this Monday morning. Back shortly. <laughs>